Well, welcome to the Career Wellbeing Show with Jill McLaren, life design guru, and myself, Emma Walsh, founder of Parents at Work. Every month, we get together to talk about what it means to have a healthy career, how to manage those ups and downs that come from having a busy life and family and so on. Uh, Now, this month, we're discussing how to survive your job and avoid burnout. Yes, it's that... um, that feeling of having career fatigue. I'm over it. I quit. I'm done with this. Now, given most of us spend more time at work than we actually do with family and friends, that's the reality, um, we'd like to hope that the hours we're spending at work are worthwhile, that they're enjoyable and rewarding. Well, maybe not all of the time, but at least some of the time, most of the time, I'd like to say. But what happens when we give too much to work? You know, it's no longer enjoyable it's demanding, it's overwhelming, and there seems to be no end in sight. What, what do we do next? You know, do we quit, downsize, put up with it, suffer in silence perhaps, maybe all of the above? Um, how do we actually know when enough is enough and it's time to take action? Because this idea of one day or I wish, you know, they're, they're common phrases for anyone who's unhappy in their job to be continually hoping for more from their job or career. Um, but what if getting there or, you know, getting somewhere with this and being successful actually isn't necessarily about getting a new job. What if your relationship with work and all that you bring to it and what's actually at the core um, of feeling enriched and empowered, no matter what role you're doing? So we're going to have a chat about your relationship with work today and really what the reality is for you. And we'll we'll talk about some what I call life hacks. So if you're feeling in career fatigue mode, um, you've come to the right place for this. So um, Jill, we constantly as career coaches meet with people um, who present with that idea of, right, you know, I'm I'm really kind of done with this, but I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm really in a a tough place, you know, and, you know, I'm not sure I can do another week. <laughs> and then, you know, that just download and you think, gosh, wow, okay, how long has it taken this point? You know, my first thought when those people present is, gosh, how long have you been holding on to that? Because I know um, invariably when I get the backstory, often it can be years that it's taken. You know, these people have held on to stuff um, that has really um, got them to the edge of where they've gone, right, that's it. And not only are they thinking about, you know, leaving their current job, um, for some it's about I'm out altogether. You know, I'm no longer going to be this professional in this occupation. You know, I'm, I'm selling up, I'm doing something completely different. So um, how common is that, Jill? You know, do we all go through those kind of, expect, can we expect that through our career that's the kind of thing that we could perhaps expect to to happen to us you know what how common is it I think it's pretty common at at some point in your career in some point in your job to have those reflections I think it's when it gets in the unhealthy zone that we've got to worry about it but but constantly trying to most people want to you know do their best at work deliver their best you know what they can and and often we at times that doesn't work but I think it, the bit that we're worried about in this kind of conversation is the what if that ends up being sustained what if you end up with that mm. nagging feeling for a long period of time um, that's kind of the bit that's a challenge and I and I agree with you I think people do hold on to it 
too long because um, I find the first first place people go is they start blaming themselves. It must be something I'm doing. You know, I need to work harder or longer or differently. It must be me. And that's often where mm-hmm. people go to first. Um, and then often there's some other environmental factors getting in the way that isn't necessarily you. But but often people would come to me and say, oh, Jill, I've just lost my mojo would be the summary of what people say. It just yeah. doesn't feel right anymore. Um, and therefore, I think a lot of what we can do is identify what those work tensions are. For sure, some of them could be things that we're doing. And over time, that might be the case. But actually, I think really looking more deeply at the environmental factors at play to get to grips with what exactly is it that you're not loving at the moment? You know, what's not giving you energy? Is it not true to your values? You're not paying true to your strengths. So you almost do a personal diagnostic. So happy to talk a little bit more about what that would work like, Emma. But it's that's for me how you can do it. You can process it better. But to start with, because we blame ourselves, we don't process it. The processing is one of it must be me. I just need to work harder and longer. Um, and then that typically isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, what are the signs? I mean, how do you sort of, if you think this might be happening to you and you can feel on the cusp of that, gosh, yeah, I I'm, I'm feel like I'm losing my mojo or I'm tearing up quite regularly or whatever it might be, you know, what are the signs to look out for around career fatigue or burnout? I think the first one is good test is how you feel on a Monday morning would be a good one. Um, you know, so are you kind of relishing the thought of the week ahead and all the excitement it brings? Or are you feeling, oh, this is just so hard? So I think if you're literally dreading kind of going into work, then that would be a, a kind of a key example of that. Um, some of them are more, I suppose, if you want the early warning signs of that, what I would call these tensions, this kind of diagnostic on what it is. Um, so what I often find in the work I do is those tensions tend to revolve around either who you are or who you do it with, if that makes sense. So we've talked before about your unique life fingerprint, but your who and your with are really the clues to a lot of these tensions I see in the workplace. Um, And what, how would that play out? So attention on your who is the, am I surrounded by, you know, a boss or a work environment that isn't true to my values? So knowing deeply what your values are, is key because I find a lot of the initial triggers are when people say, oh, it's just not working. There could be something off in your, you know, in your own values, for example. So it could be that I've got integrity of value and actually I've got a leader who's got low integrity or um, there's other examples of that as well, where you kind of go, it's just not being true to me. And another thing could be, it's not true to my strengths. You know, they put me in a role that's kind of something that's really not what I'm, I love and what I'm great at. So those, those are examples of attention on who you are. So we're, we're literally stretching you not being yourself, uh, but the work is kind of stretching you there. The other bit is the with, um, because most people I find can survive if the people and situations they're surrounded by week in, week out are really positive. Um, uh, but I find this probably is typically the biggest work tension whereby the with could either be in many cases, actually, interestingly, a boss that may not be bringing out the best in you, or even a work team that's not working very coherently together, colleagues that aren't, haven't got each other's back, psychological safety not being there. So there's often things outside of us that we would blame ourselves for that are actually some real clues about what's off. And then once we know what those tensions are, it's much easier to tackle it. You know, actually, I normally feel fine, but this team I'm on at the moment is not really working for me for these reasons. Or, you know, my previous boss was great, but my new boss doesn't get me. Um, You know, just really understanding some of the root cause of it um, 
whereas I say the default mode is it must be something I'm doing. I have to work harder and longer, which is where the burnout piece comes in. Mm, mm. Or it's that, that idea of constantly feeling like your job is to please other people, yeah. right? And those, and that's back to the who with piece you were just talking about. But I wonder just how much uh, our internal drive to just naturally please someone whether it's our boss our, our colleagues our clients our families whatever whoever it is that um that it's just sitting there underneath the surface and it's constantly driving uh, you know i i need to do more you know i need to um yeah i need to be delivering something great here or whatever it might be that just sits below the surface but nonetheless it's there and then we constantly feel like we're serving other people at this you know at the expense of ourselves I wrote this article um, a couple of months ago uh, on this idea of having carer fatigue and it wasn't about this idea of you know the physical caring for other people that might happen obviously with young children and so on and um, on the demands of that, the article was more around our emotional attachment to the work we're, we're doing um, and who we're doing it for and, you know, the level of responsibility we take on to make everyone else's life somehow better, that we have, you know, we carry around this sense of responsibility that we've got to make everything, everyone happy all the time. And so... I wonder if, you know, I see burnout really closely uh, attached to this idea of uh, caring too much. And that sounds odd, doesn't it? Caring too much. How can you possibly care too much? And, and I think, gosh, I learnt this early in my career, this idea of being too, you know, highly emotionally attached to outcomes of what I was um, supposedly delivering on so if you like um, having a vision for what you want to see play out at work uh, or when you're delivering a particular project or whether it be in personal life as well and then there's the reality of that vision you know and um, and the outcomes that it delivers and sometimes they are so way off that you know we can find ourselves getting in such a state over um, this whatever is played out you know really highly emotionally attached to it and we lose all perspective you know how much do you think um, losing perspective you know being too highly emotionally attached to outcomes at work contributes to career fatigue I think it, it really plays out in the way that you've you've talked about it. And I, don't, and I don't think it is odd that you're talking about the kind of care example because we all deeply care about the work we do. But if people are going to spend the majority of their, their lives at work, which we do, it, the point is we really do care and most people want to, again, make a, a meaningful contribution. So I think it, it's real that we would feel those factors. I think where the tension gets a bit unhealthy is um, when our identity is just so attached to the work. So it's almost like if I'm bad at work, I'm I'm bad if that makes sense so that's the bit I see as dangerous because at the end of the day feeling that you've got a sense of achievement you can see your contribution even if others can't at times um, so that perspective taking is key 
Uh, but the bit where I see it really dangerous is, as I say, where our identity gets tied up with that. And what does that look like? Is the, you know, if the job's not going well, I'm not going well. If someone doesn't value me at work, I'm not valuable. Um, so that's the bit that I see very dangerous and actually is a good example of where people say I've lost my mojo is the, you know, other people may be critical of you and, and you're having a tough time at work. But that drives the inner critic as well. So you almost amplify that negativity and you get downer on yourself when really, you know, coming up and kind of taking a balcony view of that and kind of looking in on it, you kind of go, well, hang on a minute, there's some real situations here, but that's not me. I I am not my work. I go to work and I want to deliver things, uh, but it doesn't necessarily define me. So I think it's how do we get a bit of that ownership back? But I do uh, the bit where it's particularly hard, as I say, when our identity becomes even more tied up with how we do at work, um, and that, mm. that's where I see a real danger in in that. And that's a bit like the caring part. You know, I care so deeply about it that, you know, if that if that doesn't work, then I don't work. Yes. And now, really, we're talking about the relationship we have with our work, really, and you know how we um, define you know, work and who we are in, you know, relationship with it. And I do wonder if we demand too much from our work. You know, are we actually expecting it to satisfy all of our needs all of the time? And frankly, it's unattainable. And and what do I mean by that? Well, I think many of us, particularly that, you know, Generation X, um, who, you know, had an expectation that you picked a career, um, hopefully one that you liked um, or you could do, and that you needed to find a good employer and a good team and you would go to work and it would pay you what it, what it needed to pay you and you'd be satisfied with that. And um, bingo, you know, there's all the success factors in play and we would be fulfilled, you know, and um, that would be the, the, the goal, the career goal that you would um, be, uh, you know, encouraged to, I guess, go out and pursue. And yet I've learnt, you know, over the decades I've been in employment that, you know, work can only do, you know, the, the bread and butter stuff that we go to work in and, and do every day um, can only deliver so much, you know. It, you know, this idea of it being able to be responsible for all of our happiness all of the time I think is unreasonable. And recognising that, you know, satisfaction um, and balance and perspective and so on comes from actually more than just the day job you go to from nine to five every day. Um, so I, I, it does it does strike me sometimes when I'm speaking to, to coaches that their expectations of what they're trying to gain from their work is frankly too high. In fact, their work in that particular organisation is never going to deliver you know, on all of the things that they're actually looking for. And in fact, it, it perhaps is unreasonable to be asking it to. You know, what's your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you on that. And another thing that kind of prompted me from what you were saying there, Emma, I think as well is the um, people are meant to notice what we do. So we, we go kind of really hard at work. And um, I hear quite a lot when people are feeling burnt out. You know, I'm working so hard. I'm working so long mm. and no one even notices or recognizes it. You know, I've got to work even harder and even longer and, 
you know, basically feeling unappreciated. Mm. I think this kind of owning it is is a key part of that because you end up kind of going, well, this is what I think my strengths are and this is what I value and actually just kind of enabling people to see that and kind of going, was that useful? Was that helpful? You know, and people kind of can, can actually relay that back to you. But I find a lot of it is almost this resentment that builds in is that people just work harder and longer, but it has even, you know, it's got diminishing returns rather than to your point, what's the relationship with work is what do I want from work? You know, where does it sit in my life? What contribution do I want to make? What strengths do I want to use? Is it true to my values? Am I working with nice people? You know, does it meet my bar of what, a great job looks like and that doesn't mean it has to be like a super high bar of you know it's the biggest job ever or you know your bar your version of what your best kind of career or best life looks like in relation to your career um if you calibrate that then i think it's quite a good recalibration because often people are letting other people define that rather than kind of go no what do i want out of this so i want this out of work i want this out of you know my broader family life i want this you know i want to be home two days a week to do this and i want to have an interest and so i know we've talked about life design more broadly before but i think career sits in a bigger life that you have um, and therefore having a bigger picture of what your whole life looks like and there where your career fits with that is another great way of kind of taking perspective on it because it takes the load off that it's got to be everything yes or it's got to be my identity rather than no this is me this is me this is my identity and this is like where my career fits with that and where other aspects of my life fit with it so so I think to your point you know getting a bit of perspective from that is is really key otherwise the challenge I find is then work becomes all-consuming then other aspects of your life diminish then you're feeling more burnt out and resentful and then it kind of goes around that kind of spiral again Um, so really actually having a really clear sense of your own identity and where work fits I think is is a Mm. really powerful way of kind of keeping out of harm on that and then actually knowing to move that's linked to that is the what I find and I think you mentioned it right up front is the you know you you often meet people when you're having these career conversations and they talk about how tough it is and they're feeling burnt out and you kind of go okay how long how long's that been it's like three years (laughs) or you know or longer um so the other thing I've noticed is that people sit there for an awfully long time. So that's the other thing is to get an early warning system to kind of go, wow, this is not already working and I need to adjust some things. But that's the other thing I notice where burnout comes is that people sit with this awful feeling for too long rather than somehow processing it to kind of go, what's going on? It's not me. There's some other things that need to shift. Mm. Um, so that would be another observation too. Mm. Well, like anything, you know, the longer you're going to sit with that kind of feeling and problem, the, the worse it becomes, frankly. Um, you know, it can eat away at us and we see that in, you know, as I said, these moments where you have these people that, you know, go, right, that's it, I quit, that snap decision that's made and, you know, enough, I can't do this anymore. And I, it strikes me like this idea of having a healthy relationship with an individual right you know in in a partnership is that when you have a healthy relationship with a spouse it's about constantly reflecting and working on it and you know looking for ways to you know enrich that relationship and when it's not going well being able to recognize that get onto that early and be able to seek out some ways to improve that and and when we do that you know it becomes you know, if we can do that early in a relationship and we're in a, you know, good and 
reasonable relationship with someone, we can actually overcome some hurdles before they become, you know, much bigger issues. And it's no different actually with our work. And yet we perhaps don't think about it like that, you know. Um, And so if we can think about, yeah, what is my relationship like with my work? You know, how much time am I investing in it? Um, What return am I getting? Um, Yeah, as you say, who notices? Um, You know, what difference is it making to me and others? Um, if If I was to invest in making that a healthier relationship that I have with my work, what would that look like? You know, what would I be doing on a more regular basis that would give me um, a better return on my time and my effort? And that often if we do that, um, you know, relish, and I don't think it's a one-off thing. That's, that's the point. Healthy relationships are never about a one-off um, effort at making them great. It's a continual effort. And so if we do this and we can constantly sort of tweak, the idea is that we do avoid burnout and we do um, it doesn't necessarily mean we need to be uh, leaving jobs in fact the job we've got we can turn around in fact and where we once think thought right that's it I'm done here I can't do this anymore um, can really turn it around into being you know a a completely different relationship um, that you have with work if you can work through this stuff and, and I think that's the that's the key. So why why don't people work through this stuff? What what do you think stops people, Jill, in your view? I think some of the reason you don't work it through. Back to that kind of earlier discussion is sometimes people think it's them. So back to the I'll work harder and longer, and and that will be the answer. Um, so I think it, the the way to process it. I interesting when I was kind of thinking about some of the best life design work that that I captured in Think Plan Live, I ended up with a, a framework which I call the five L's um, because I kind of went through what how did I process the bits of my career that I was really enjoying. So I ended up with the love it, like it, learn from it, laugh about it, or leave it framework. <laughs> so how did that work? Um, so many parts of my career I really loved. You know, it was a job I love. You know, a, a kind of boss that you like working for. You know, there's so so you kind of go those were the love it kind of parts they might be aspects where you kind of took on a new challenge and you can work out what those things are the like it is obviously a slightly lower version of that I'm really liking it still you know I feel like I'm still stretching I'm liking my job Um, the learn from it were times when sometimes you feel quite challenged so you kind of go actually this is really hard even potentially feeling a bit burnt out Um, but if you work out that some of that's coming because you're learning lots of new things it's because you're feeling quite stretched you're kind of in the learn mode and that still feels okay. The laugh about it might sound an odd one because I've been at times in my career when honestly the work has gone really bad. You know, it could be a really big downturn. You're in a, you know, in a a company and they're having a really tough year and that can either turn really toxic. So you can have a really horrible time of it at that time or the laugh about it. I find sometimes you come together with your colleagues, you kind of laugh it off, kind of go, I can't get any worse. So sometimes you almost come together in adversity. So that's what I call about the laugh at times. And if it's none of those, it's a leave it, quite frankly. So if I'm not loving it or liking it, at least, if I'm not learning something new and I'm not laughing it off with colleagues, even if it's tough and it's just gone to that kind of extreme of it's not that then ultimately I would say it's not healthy you have to leave it so you have to either recalibrate and say I'm going to learn something it's okay I'm going to you know shift and broaden my role and find something I like more 
Um, but just going through that mental model of where you are on that continuum is is quite a good way of actually processing it, um, I think, is, a, is another key way. Yeah, I love it. It is a great um, acronym and I think it's something really <laughs> useful that people can, can work through, Jill. I th- I'm going to do it myself <laughs> with some of, the, some of the things I'm doing right now. Um, because the leave it bit, right, is the rubber hitting the road bit. So we might do all of that and we get to that point where we go, right, I know I need to leave this behind, just like back to that unhealthy relationship we might have with an individual. And for whatever reason, we just don't seem to be able to do that. <laughs> so we the pattern keeps playing out and we go round and round and round in circles. And so, you know, that's that bit where you know it's rubber hitting the road and if we're in a situation that we find ourselves like that and I'm going to say I know that that's going to be reality for people right and they may not be able to afford to leave the job they're in and their uh, other options around earning an income etc are so tied to that they just can't do that you know, what are your your thoughts and strategies for people that find themselves really unfortunately tied financially to something they can't just leave? I think it's still, I would still say there's a healthy reframe. And when I say leave, it's only leave the bit that's not working for you. That doesn't mean necessarily leave the company. And that's another thing I find when I talk to people. They're almost like, I'm done. I've got to get out of here. I'm kind of handing in my notice. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I kind of go, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, pause. Um, So I think if you wait for that dramatic leave, it's a challenge. Leave actually means leave the situation that's actually not working for you and find one of those other zones, if that makes sense. So that could mean, to be honest, I'd rather do a role that's probably not quite so much of a stretch, but do you know what? I like that project team. Or there's a boss that I used to work for before and they've set up a new area. You know, it might even be a sideways move. I've kind of gone and loved it. You know, I, I would love that working for them again. And then I can kind of re- regroup again. So so there's often ways around it. Some of it's actually going sideways. So in my own experience, I've actually proactively gone you know, thought, actually, I'm going to go and work for that person again. I found them really inspiring. The job's not absolutely perfect, but actually I'd get a lot more energy of that team. So I think there are ways of actually sidestepping it before you go for that dramatic kind of leave leave approach. Um, the other thing is just start looking at that point, because I think the other challenge I find is that people say it will come good again. But if it's knocking your self-confidence, it can become a bit of a downward spiral where you kind of go, oh, you know, I went for something new and I didn't get that either, often because our self-talk's not great and we're not feeling fantastic about that. Um, But I think for me, it's actually finding a step that you would like. So either a project that's more energizing, someone you used to work for before, a team that you like the look of, a broadening role that's a bit different that you'd learn in. Um, I think there's ways of sidestepping your way around it, Emma, um, that often are less daunting. So, So I think step one is the, this really isn't working for me. And then how do I sidestep that into something that puts me in a better kind of mental state, you know, that I'm going to enjoy it more. And then I can potentially go for my next end game, which is might be stepping up in the career in a different way. Um, But I think to somehow remove yourself from that situation, 
is really key. And often I find it is actually something about back to the the with or the who I am. It's typically something that's not true to your your true values or strengths, or more likely that the team you're working with is not necessarily working for you. So that's an easier thing to to kind of work through. You know, I'm not loving working in this team at the moment, but I think they might need some resources in that team. Let me see whether I can go and get involved with that project or this project. So I think there is a degree of reframing that you can that you can do. Um, mm, mm. Yeah. I agree. I think um, the reframe is so important. So you may not be able to control your, your financial circumstances that you find yourself in and the need, you know, to stay in the situation, you know, the job that you're in. But what you can do is manage how you respond to it. So this idea of managing your emotional attachment to it and being able to call it out for what it is. Okay, this isn't great. You know, I'm not in a healthy position with this right now. Um, this is less than perfect. I'm acknowledging that. Um, right now, I'm not in a position to be able to um, make a change and leap out of it. Um, so I can't do that. But let's get focused on what I can do. What are the things that I can do that actually might make this a little easier? And I acknowledge it may not solve the whole issue, um, but you know, there are some immediate things I'm going to do that's going to help me respond to the situation that I'm in. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing I think is this idea, you know, continuing with the managing your emotional attachment piece to be able to say, okay, well, I'm not loving it anymore. And you know what? That's okay. You know, that's okay to be in a position where I don't love it anymore. And that's a, that gives you some really useful information about you and where you might be at and that's that signal point where you go you know what maybe I've outgrown it maybe you know this I have stayed too long or whatever it might be right now now's the time to go and start thinking about where I want to go next what I want to do next I'm no longer going to demand that this job and situation makes me happy because I know it doesn't so I'm going to lose the expectations that I had from this role, acknowledge that it is where it's at and I'm going to put my energies into getting something that's really going to fill my bucket again as opposed to staying in that zone where, you know, you really are hitting a head against a brick wall, trying desperately to revive your love of this particular job or your love of this particular team or manager or whatever it might be. And the reality is it, it's it's time is done and it is about actually acknowledging yep this isn't where I want to be and that's okay I don't have to change tomorrow I could take my time to actually look for the role that's going to be right for me or the team that's going to be right for me Um, and knowing that I'm going to work towards that and it doesn't have to be tomorrow that I secure that I'm not a failure um, and this isn't going to beat me if I haven't got a new job by next week And so having those kind of techniques to sort of manage your own level of emotional attachment to what's going on, I think is just so critical. And when I've seen people do that, do just what I've, you know, given that example, acknowledge that, yeah, actually I have grown out of that role. Yeah, actually I am demanding something of it that it can't give me anymore. Right, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to move on. But it's okay because now I've come to terms with that. I'm dealing with it. And I'm going to take my time to get the next opportunity that's right for me. 
I think that can work really well. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a key point. And that's also helping you with this identity piece at the moment. You're getting some distance from the, it's just a role. I'm not loving at the moment. I, you know, I need to find a way out or I find another path, um, but it doesn't define me. Um, so I think mm. if you can kind of get that distance between I am the role to, no, I'm, I'm me and I do a role that I'm not enjoying as much as I want at the moment and I need a path through, but that role doesn't define me and therefore... Also re-energizing yourself outside of work as well, or even doing other projects or spending time with other people that actually get that energy back up. So when you do yeah. kind of go out and get that role, you're feeling filled up as, as a person, even if the role's not mm. filling you up, if that makes sense. So I think yeah. um, that would be a key piece is that I'm going to have to get my energy from elsewhere. I'm going to have to get my, you know, my, my colleagues from perhaps kind of uh, linking with some colleagues I used to work with. You actually be more conscious about what you're lacking and to your point, not expect the, the, the job to fill all of those. Um, but even that, I think we're talking about a coping strategy that gets you through it and out the other side. I think the long-term piece is obviously finding a way to, to kind of get, find that next thing. Mm. So there you have it, um, career fatigue and what you can do about it. I like it, love it, like it, <laughs> learn from it, laugh about it or leave it. Um, Jill, thank you so much again for your time today. Look forward to talking again next month. Thanks, Emma. Looking forward to it. And if you want to know more about career and life design, um, you can contact Jill or myself at info at parentsatwork.com.au. Thanks for listening.